Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. of that early childhood nerd i don't even know what's funny what's funny <laughs> i don't know everything we're already getting everything. one um i'm heather travis and tiffany are here hello show enough <laughs> <laughs> and um can can i tell them all why we were really laughing travis yeah um travis's middle name is ass cheek pumpkin <laughs> true true life yeah <laughs> the unfortunate reality i live with every day <laughs> Doesn't fit in all the boxes of standardized <laughs> tests. <laughs> okay, so anyway, it's probably not really his middle name, but he's with us today, and we're going to talk about, probably we'll talk about Ass Cheek Pumpkins with this quote. Probably. Where that came from. Okay. Full disclaimer, I find them adorable. They, okay, hold on. Because I love butts. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Well, make them with your own butt cheeks and we're fine. Beautiful. Perfect. Will do. As long as it's coming from you. (laughs) What's the quote today, Heather? Okay, the quote (laughs) is from Emily Plank, discovering the culture of childhood. I'm sure she'll be thrilled because I know she's an avid listener (laughs) that this is where her quote is coming from. But anyway, okay, so this is from her book, Discovering the Culture of Childhood. The quote is, uh, change is difficult. So even if we believe professionally and intellectually in the ideas of process-oriented approaches, we have grown to expect certain products at certain ages. Ultimately, however, it isn't our sentimental connection to the products that make change the most difficult. We desperately lack any transformative language to validate and support a wholly new approach. So this is coming from previous discussion in the book about art and crafts and the kinds of things like footprint butterflies is the example that she gives right before this quote um, that are so tied into our collective consciousness as either parents or former children or people who work with children now mm-hmm. um, and how difficult it is to move away from that. So what would you add anything, paraphrase anything about the quote? Let's just talk about the quote before we get into the... Tiffany's affinity for butt cheeks. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, this is one of those quotes where I'm, I'm just like, yep. Little clap on True. the side. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let, but, but let's, let's unpack a little bit the idea of lacking a transformative language to validate and support a new approach. Do you agree that we don't have that? I would say that we've lost that. Okay. I don't think that we don't possess it yet. I think that it has disintegrated with our separation of art and life. Mm-hmm. Been My trans- some John Dewey uh, <laughs> artist experience 
highly applicable to this. I would say my transformative language was just learning the difference between art and craft. Mm -hmm. Like arts and crafts. Like being able to separate those two things and know exactly what they mean. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that was one of the things was I was super into doing crafts, like stuff that you find on Pinterest. Uh And there's not a world where anyone can look at me and tell me that any of that is wrong. It's just you can't do those things and call them art or say that it's the kids' creativity or experience. Uh Like, I will, like, my teachers are free to do whatever Pinterest craft they want to do as long as they're set up at a table where nobody's forced to be there. And the kids who want to do it, come and do it. The kids who don't, (laughs) they go and splatter paint wherever they want. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. learning the difference between those two things. And that sounds really simple. It's a lot harder to do in real life. But I really think that's the only transformative language I needed. Mm -hmm. Just being able to differentiate. Let's talk about that difference. How do you define the difference between art and craft? I would say craft is something with a formula that you follow. Okay. So, like, I mean, if I wanted to teach a kid sewing, there's going to have to be some a lot of structure around teaching it. There's going to have to be a lot of rules that are followed, steps that are followed exactly the way they're supposed to. There's not a whole lot of room for being creative until you know those very basic steps. Mm-hmm. The same thing goes for, like, stuff like acting or singing or music. It's you have to know the basics before you can really have the freedom to go out and expand on it, but if that's the only creative outlet that you have where you are being forced to follow a formula, you're not going to have a really good time, Mm -hmm. and you're not Mm going to really, like, I took piano lessons when I was a kid, but I also had the freedom to go bang on a piano when I wasn't (laughs) with my teacher. If I didn't have that freedom, I wouldn't have been so interested in playing the piano or writing music the way that I do today, for sure. But the same thing goes for, like, sewing. You teach, Like, if you're teaching somebody to sew, there's very specific rules or knitting. But yeah. then once they know those things, they, they play around, they break those rules or branch out of those rules, and then they wind up learning how to do more complex things or learning new things. Right. I think about knitting a, a lot in, in this conversation because it's something I do, well, used to do a lot and now do sometimes. But I'm not, some people call themselves fiber artists. I'm not a fiber artist. I'm I'm an I'm a person who follows a pattern and makes a product and gets some enjoyment out of that. I don't know that it's necessarily creative other than I do create a thing. <laughs> There's a thing at yeah. the end yeah. of it that I've created, but it wasn't a process of creativity for me if that yeah. makes any sense. Uh I have a very strong definition for art and maybe not so much a strong definition for craft in this situation. Um art to me is something uh, that you create as a means for processing learning, essentially. So, like, art as a tool that you are using to understand something better. Okay. Uh, and that's how oh my Art is a means for processing your experience. The human condition, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And craft is uh, a skill. Okay. So sometimes you need that skill, just like Travis, you were saying with sewing or music. Sometimes mm-hmm. you need the skill to be able to process the art. Sometimes the skill comes first, and sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes you're, mm-hmm. oh, I'm using paint to recreate this color, and the more I do it, the better I get at it. 
Um, so I think that's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where I take a lot of issue <laughs> with the craft of the footprint or the butt cheeks <laughs> or the handprint turkey. Uh-huh. You're not, you know, there's this saying like, oh, like we're learning about turkey, so we're making a handprint turkey. You're not processing what what is a turkey by painting your hand and making a turkey. Mm-hmm. That, like, maybe I could draw You're not learning there. the history of Thanksgiving either. <laughs> right? We're learning exactly. about Thanksgiving. We're learning about Thanksgiving by We're learning about the history of Thanksgiving crafts. <laughs> yeah, right? Because we've been and doing if... that since the Puritans invented paint. Yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I had a kid that was like, my hand looks just like a turkey. Look, when I paint it and squish it, look at this turkey. Then that, to me, is an art experience. You're processing, like you're connecting, yeah. you're doing this higher level thinking, whereas the craft of it, of just like we're going to paint our hand and squish, paint our hand and squish, is not uh-huh. or inviting deep. I'm going to paint your hand, and I'm going to squish it, and I'm going to position it just right, and then I'm going to mm-hmm. add to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I'm going to send mm-hmm. it home and say, look what your kid did. Yeah, okay. exactly. Well, you want you just want to invoke executive functioning. That's really all that you want to do with art. Okay. You want to be not so much about what am what is my teacher getting out of this. What is like what pleasure is my teacher getting out of this? You want to be thinking introspectively. What am I getting out of this? What am I learning right yeah. now? What am I thinking about? Because it needs to. Because art is one of those things that you're not. You don't make art for other people. And if you if you ask any person who is an actor or a singer or a painter, they're like, I'm not making it for the audience. I'm not making it for the general public. I'm making it for me. Whereas what you'll see in a lot of these programs when they're doing these crafts is they're, oh, your mom's going to love this. Yes. You're making this for your mom. Like, they'll even do it when they are having free art. And, like... I'll walk into places where they finally got down to the point where they can have paint out and the kids can grab the paint, do whatever they want with the paint. And then when they're like putting too much paint on it, they're like, oh, your mom's not going to like that. She's not going to be able to hang that up on the fridge. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You don't know my mom. It just goes, what, what? That's, we were off to a good start. (laughs) I'm I'm in the middle of rereading Alfie Cohn's Punished by Rewards for the other podcast that's coming soon book nerds <laughs> um but but he just I don't like about, books <laughs> he just talked about the chapter that that or in the chapter i just read he was talking about kind of what you just were saying travis and he cited specifically stories of like sylvia plath who worried that once she started getting feedback about her poetry it was affecting her creative process and she wasn't doing it as yeah. much just for herself anymore and she'd get stuck in this cycle where she couldn't create because she was so worried about the feedback that might be out there. Yeah, like any time a like, weird tiny band you love gets big and then oh. their next album is just pure garbage because all Vincent. they're trying to do is continue <laughs> making money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Well, and that's part of the factory school structure. It's mm-hmm. just you, these like big companies that decide for everybody how we're going to educate our children – um, based on what they want to see out of their workers, they want to see workers who care about the feedback and not so much what they get out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things that unfortunately just trickled down to us, and now we're stuck. Yeah, the one time towing the lines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to get back to language for a minute and talk about because in early childhood we we don't 
break it down in terms of art and crafts as much as we just did. We talk about process-oriented and product-oriented art. And I think that is easier to muddy up than art and craft is in terms of, of interpretation or language. Like, I just... I just heard uh, a, a preschool teacher who had gotten a memo from her her director that we want to go, we really want to be focused on process, not product. And here's a checklist of the differences between product and process art. And this preschool teacher was talking about how, um, you know, her art project might have a theme that it's supposed to fit, but she doesn't tell them what to do with it. Or get upset if it doesn't look like her model. But then when I looked at her bulletin board, every piece of that looked like a model and looked like the theme. But she was convinced that it was process-oriented because she didn't make them do anything. She didn't... Because they got to pick where the eyes went. Yeah. Well, it was rocket Yeah, ships. well, and I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I highly doubt that in the actual classroom when this was going on, she actually upheld any of those values she said she had. <laughs> Because I yeah. I have seen so many teachers who are like, I don't make them do anything they don't want to do. But then when you're actually there in the classroom with them, yeah. they're just like, nope, it needs to look like this. This needs to be happening this way. Yeah. <laughs> or don't you want to put it over here? Don't you want that oh. to look like this? God. And I still get a lot of flack from people, even within our community of um like the more woke educators, if you will, <laughs> I get a lot of flack for hanging up art in the first place. Oh, really? Because people think that if you hang up the art, oh. you're focusing on the product and not the process. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I get that a lot. Like, wow. you would not have like I've taken pictures of stuff that was hanging up on the wall, and I still get comments on my website that are like, "How can you be about process if you're going to hang stuff up?" Okay, wait. That just even muddies everything more. <laughs> because that's stupid. Because, <laughs> because I do think, I mean, I, no, because, no, I can't even. Yeah. I have no transformative language well, for this. That's, well, that's yeah. the thing is that if you've ever walked into my center or seen pictures of it, oh, uh, we did not hang that up. Yeah. The kids hung it up. Mm-hmm. The kids hung it up. They went and grabbed tape from the desk, hung it up. There's so many, like, missing paint from our walls from tape getting ripped off. If you think from any of those pictures that we hung those up, then we're just, we've got some other problems we need to nail down because they're just all over the place. Like, these walls are just covered in random art. But it's like, even, even if I tell these people, hey, it's, the kids are the ones who are hanging it up, so... What does that even mean? Like, well, it shouldn't be up in the first place because they're they're going to learn to value the product and not the process. Right. Or they're going to learn that you value them as human beings. Yeah. yeah. And allow them that. But, and also that you value the, the gains. Pride. And the pride. pride and, and even the revisiting. Like they go back yeah. and they, they see that then and they can think about what they did with the paint last time and and how that all happened and, and there's value there's cognitive and emotional value to that. Mm. Uh. <laughs> oh. All right. You want me to make it worse? I can make it worse. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, bring it. Can make it I can make it even muddier and we might fight over this, but I'm okay with it. Um I put an iPad out in the classroom uh-huh. on a stand. Okay. Uh-huh. 
And with the, with iPads, you can actually make it so that the kids can't navigate away from a certain page. Like, it has to be on the thing yeah. that you've set it up to be. Uh-huh. Um, it's access. It's me. Yep. <laughs> and I put that on the camera so that the kids could take pictures of things that they built. Oh. Or oh. things. Or thing, right, Why right. Why am I going to yeah. about that? The amount of flag I get for that. Oh, for bringing, no, for first of all, bringing that. a screen into the classroom. Mm-hmm. That, that was my first strike. And then the second one is valuing the product over the process. But it's like, it's not me. I'm not asking you to take pictures. Uh-huh. They're the ones bringing their pictures, taking selfies with their pictures and moving on. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Even Like, even one of my teachers was just like, um, you're going to get my kid addicted to the screen. I'm like, mm. She's addicted to taking pictures of but herself. If, that's fine. If, <laughs> that's, if that's, you brought that's in, Emmy. yeah, that's, okay. <laughs> that's the way. That's how we do things now. <laughs> um, if you brought in some old camera and let him do the same thing and went and got the pictures developed, I bet you wouldn't get that flack. Because Probably we have not. the technology. I also wouldn't have any kids interested in it. <laughs> well, true, true. I'm Here's the picture you took four it's, weeks ago of your. It's Lego. an example of how we we get triggered by words in our field and don't go deeper into what's really happening. Yes. Ugh. I mean, I'm a word nerd. I'm a language. I, I'm, you know, I'll mm-hmm. I'll get behind that. But hey, yes. I'm gonna raise Green a hand not for a bad word. Okay, yes. Go speaking ahead. of language, yeah. What the hell does transformative language even mean? Well, here's what I think it means. <laughs> I think that the words we use to talk about or think about a thing determine how we feel about it and what we do about it. So, like, that's one reason I will never, unless it's an accident, use the word misbehavior. Mm. Because mm-hmm. it's not... If, if we change the th- our, the words we use, it helps to change the thinking and the action. So when I'm when I'm talking to teachers like Dan Gartrell is one of my favorite people about and I don't want to turn this into a behavior podcast, but this is the example that comes to mind. He's one of my favorite people to read and hear talk about children and their behavior and our jobs and helping them with that. And he is very intentional and he won't also he also doesn't use misbehavior, but he talks about mistaken behavior. And just that little bit. I think can flip a switch in a teacher's mind, maybe not change their action right away, but lead to a transformation. Does that make sense? Yeah, I've got an example yeah. of that actually. Sure. Tell, tell, tell. Um, uh, so when we first opened, we had a little boy, and I guess we have a few now, but we had a little boy who would just go over to every single shelf and dump things out. Mm. Dump things out. Yeah. They're called toddlers. I have ten of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so it, 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 it was just nonstop, just going around, dumping things out, and then people would just pretty much follow him around, put the stuff uh-huh. back, and it was starting to get on people's nerves. Uh-huh. And because it was getting on people's nerves, we actually like tried to go through why this might be happening. First of all, don't keep things in bins if you don't want. You don't want happen. them dumped. Like keep things in drawers. That's fine. Um, but otherwise, people were just saying he's just so destructive. It's so destructive. Oh, mm-hmm. And so we started using the word deconstructive. He yeah. likes deconstruction. He likes to deconstruct things. He doesn't like to destroy things. Uh-huh. He likes to deconstruct order. And that's mm-hmm. something that kids just like to do. Yeah. That's something that adults like to do. We don't like to see everything perfect in its place. There's always something that we like to put off to the side. Um, it's just one of those things that is just a reality. Mm-hmm. 
that we don't yeah. really like to think of. Even the most OCD person in the world likes to mess things up every once in a while or keep something out, and that's fine. Uh-huh. But for adults, it's fine. For a kid, for kids, it's a nuisance <laughs> or destruction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and and that thinking of it that that destructive label is is yeah. a good example. We label things so negatively when if we can just rephrase it and and not to be. You know, we're not trying to trick anybody or manipulate anybody. I think it's just a fact about how our brains work and how we process information that if we can. And it, and it doesn't always help the way that we think it will. Yeah. Because that's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why people stopped saying misbehavior and they just started saying behaviors. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's got behaviors. Well, even that. To where, mm-hmm. to where now I hear, when I hear that, it just automatically means that they're saying it's a negative thing. Like, oh, right. he, he behaves poorly. There's a difference between transformative language and a euphemism. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I do think that behavior started as transformative language. Like that was the intent behind it, because that was what. Yeah. And just over time, it just kind of got turned into a thing. Because if your dislike of children is big enough, it doesn't matter what language you're oh, using. Geez. Gonna use yes. it wrong every time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's so sad, but so true oh god i spent some time in a in an elementary school watching one of the one one, a kid that i had watched or that i had taught in preschool i went to his elementary school because his teachers were just saying he was having the worst possible time Uh in school and it was really like every single teacher that i encountered there i asked myself if these people just hate kids like (laughs) do you belong here do any of you belong here because they all just seemed like they hated kids yeah they wanted everyone behaving like adults they didn't want kids to behave the way that kids are supposed to behave yeah Yeah. which is why every human being who interacts with a child in any way ever for any amount of time should read this emily plank book (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes 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 that should so, just be to a summarize, yes. transformative <laughs> language means consciously choosing your words because words have power? I think so. Is that the settled definition? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it means uh, helping rephrase, reframe. Yes, I would say more reframing than rephrasing. Do you think there's a difference there? I think there is. I'm sort of uh, processing it as I think about it. But yeah, 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 rephrasing would mean just could be a euphemism. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's more than a euphemism. It's transferring of power. Yeah. Speaking of euphemisms, and totally off topic, I dropped a notebook behind a cubby yesterday in front of Mm -hmm. a bunch of one and two year olds. Mm-hmm. And yelled, oh, fudge. <laughs> so, I was glad nice. that in that moment I was able to rephrase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I've been away from... Would you say that, oh, fudge is transformative language? No. Validating the whole new approach? <laughs> no, not at all. I um, think fudge is very powerful. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Powerfully delicious. <laughs> Okay. It took us a long time, but we derailed it. We're a half an hour in before we got completely off topic. Hey, pretty much all my fault. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Okay, so can we, I'm going to go back to the quote for a minute. 
that very first part where it says change is difficult, even if we believe professionally and intellectually we've grown in these pro- process oriented things, we've grown to expect certain projects at certain ages. React to that. <laughs> ah! <laughs> no, I felt like that was a powerful way to say we know one thing, but we do another thing. And and kind of what yeah. we're talking about, you know, the teacher who really believed that she was. No, maybe that's different. The teacher who really believed she was doing process oriented when it was really product. Yeah. I think I, it's I more that she really she... wanted people yeah. to believe. This. Yeah, she knew how to that, talk that's... to talk. Right. Well, and that's just most people in most professions in most industries. They yeah. just there's they'll say they're doing one thing or they say that their values are one way. And in reality, they know that it's not that way, but they would rather people just continue believing that they're doing things the right way. Yeah. yeah. So it's an issue of it's buy-in. It's like pretending and... you've read Wuthering Heights when you've actually never read it. He's not along, right? Right. Oh, God, right. <laughs> Keep Wuthering Heights out of this. The Brontes have taken a beating this year <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Valentine's Day cards and board books. <laughs> Can't even handle it. Uh, so, so it isn't our sentimental connection. It's not? That's what you're saying? It's not, no, that's what this quote is saying. Mm. It's not that we're sentimentally connected. Okay. It's that we don't oh, oh, have right, the right language the to words. talk about it any other way. <laughs> oh, yes. Those are the words she said. Yes. Well, that's just like the, this is the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. It's not like they, it's not like they'd be all so emotionally distraught if it, if that, if those arts and crafts were taken away, Yeah. but it's that, that's the way we've always done it. So why change yeah. it? I, I think there's an element of sentimental connection as much as I yeah. hate to, to disagree with Emily Plank, but, um, like I think about any conversation I've had in the last few years about holiday celebrations with early childhood people, it's mm-hmm. that's an emotional connection and a sentimental connection to them. But they're thinking about when they were older children in elementary school, they did these crafts and now they want to do them with two, three, four year olds. And, and they will fight about that. Um, and it's because they've, we've all, and, and and maybe part of it is that parents expect those products from us, even though their memory is also based on themselves as older children. So yeah. I, I, but I that's the thing, is that people need to know there's nothing wrong with doing it. It's just forcing kids to do it and then making that their artistic experience for the day or the week right. or whatever. That's Putting when it, it in becomes the art wrong. box on your lesson plan. Right, like yeah. it just can't. It can't be that way. Like you can still do it because it's fun and it's cute, and kids. Some kids like it. Yeah. Most parents like it, and your administration likes it. And maybe you want to do it really bad, so fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> but don't force kids to do it. Yeah. Don't make it the only experience they're gonna get for art. Mm-hmm. Like there aren't. There are so few rules in in rearing children. So <laughs> few actual rules that you have to follow. Mm -hmm. But people will think that just because we're saying this is not developmentally appropriate, that means that we're saying you are actively damaging children by doing it Mm -hmm. at all. When in reality, it's like, no, the 
you have to think about the environment that you're putting it in. If you're putting it in an environment where it's the only art experience they're getting for that day, and you're calling it art, you're using language that associates it with the incorrect thing, Mm -hmm. and then you're trying to come up with all this bullshit reason for it, like we're learning about Thanksgiving, we're (laughs) learning about turkeys. No, just do it because it's cute, you like it, it's it's fun, fun. and you're not making anybody do it. kids deserve some fun. It doesn't all have to be. I mean, I'm 100% behind that. If a kid thinks something's fun, I don't have to see its value. Unless it's, you know, blatantly unsafe or something. Right. (laughs) So, oh, shoot, I had something and it's gone. But, Tiffany, I think you've talked about this before where – you have, uh, you know, sometimes there's a table where there's something crafty available and you've got all the girls yeah. that flock to it or, or whatever. Yeah, there's there's definitely the type of kid that was me as a kid. Mm-hmm. That's like sweet. Like I want to do, I like following the steps and doing mm-hmm. it in order. And that process is fun for me. Right. Fun but for the way I think. But it's, let's not um, call it art. Oh, it was about developmental appropriate practice. That's and let's not say. force anybody to do it. Right. I'm 100% yeah. with you on this one. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's another thing is that we recently at our program for the first time since we've opened had a group of kids who have older siblings oh. ask for worksheets. Oh, asking yeah. us, "Can you print me off some worksheets to do?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the teachers just kind of like shut down like, "Oh my god, is Travis going to kill us for this? Like is Travis <laughs> going to set the place on fire now?" No, if they're asking for it, you print it off, you let them do it. As long as you're not sitting over there saying, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, don't do that, don't do that, then you're fine. They just want to be like their older siblings who are doing it in school. I think it's fair to assume that Tiffany and I would have been those preschoolers. Absolutely. Asking for worksheets. <laughs> but it's just, it's for playing school. It's not, it's, it's yeah, dramatic it's play funny. really at that yeah. level. It's not you know, right. academic intellect, curiosity right. that's driving that request. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they're also, so I'm going to go back to the handprint here. We, uh, we had a handprint craft out last year where the painted the hand and did the thing and anybody <laughs> who wanted to could come over and do it and they would pick their colors and like watching the color mix on their hand and they got really into it. And then for the next two months, all they wanted to do was paint each other's hands. So it, it wow. wasn't, you know, oh, we're forcing you to do this handprint craft, and that, that, that it was like, hey, if anybody wants to come over and do this, sure. And now it's become this interesting social game that they play. Yeah. Will you let me paint your hand? <laughs> and like, how will you follow my instructions? How do you give someone instructions? Uh-huh. So there's this interesting back and forth, um, receptive, and expressive language thing going on that, like, everybody really got into, and that was where they took it. But you could tell that the that it wasn't the handprint craft that they liked. Uh-huh. It was now they have a vehicle to do this thing that they didn't figure out how to do any other way. Uh-huh. So, so it was a way to further their learning and process their experience. Mm-hmm. Therefore, art. Yeah. Well, let's talk about leaving materials out after these kinds of crafty things then. Because of the other thing that I see, <clears throat> excuse me. I forgot how to swallow coffee. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I see is um, the the craft, the quote-unquote art activity, takes 10 minutes because we just shove them through like a factory. Uh, what do you call those things? Those lines? Assembly, Assembly line. Assembly <laughs> The factory line. <laughs> um, and then we put it all away because the activity is over. And that, um, what you're talking about, Tiffany would then, in my mind, make it okay 
another thing that would make it okay for me to see that kind of a craft activity in a classroom is if the materials are left out, they're allowed to explore them further, they can build on it with their own ideas after the fact. And this this comes back to the argument I keep making about direct instruction. Mm -hmm. Direct instruction isn't the root of all evil. Sometimes you got to have somebody you can ask to say like, hey, I don't know how to make pancakes. Will you show me how? Uh-huh. Somebody shows you how to make pancakes, you're like, sweet. Just oh, read the I get it now. Box. I've watched you, I understand. Now I can take this in my own direction. Right. Okay. Well that's like that's just what I was say like what I was saying earlier. There in finding a skill or learning a skill, you there's a lot of rules that go into it. Like if if I was to say that I'm teaching kids baking by putting all of the ingredients out and saying, Go, play. Like, that's a great sensory activity, but I'm not teaching them how to bake. I'm not teaching right. them how to do anything. They're, like, especially with something like that where the the way to learn it, everything is very precise. The measurements are very precise and exact every single time. There's not a whole lot of room for, like, do it, adding your own stuff until afterward when you get to decorate it and stuff like that. <laughs> but that's one of those things. Like, there's a lot of things that you can teach children that are very important that require direct instruction yes. and require you to say that's incorrect every once in a while. But I, I Because it's not wrong to tell kids they're wrong. It's not right. wrong to yeah. tell them that they're doing something incorrect, especially when you're trying to teach them something useful. Now, learning your ABCs and 123s I was just, at that age is not yeah. useful. Relevance useful becomes the key. Yeah, it yeah. has to be appropriate for them, which just circles back to developmental appropriate practice. It's yeah. just you have to know what that means, and you have to know how to apply it to your group of children. And with all the stuff that's flying around, nobody really can define it clearly. Right. Well, I, I did want to, when I couldn't remember what I was going to say earlier, it was about developmentally appropriate practice, because I always, people throw that phrase around too, and it means whatever you interpret it to mean for yourself. And But I think if we keep drawing it back to the three core considerations that NACI, the inventors of developmentally appropriate practice, <laughs> you know, the two authors, Carol Bredekamp and Sue, somebody, I don't remember. Um, there's three things that we think about when we're trying to decide whether something is developmentally appropriate. One is what do we know about children this age typically? The second, what do I know about these specific individual four-year-olds in my room right now? Yeah. And then three, you know, the the social and the cultural context they come to us from. So if I have kids in my room right now and what I know is that they have older siblings who are doing these kinds of things and so they're curious about it or they're just that kind of personality that enjoys the crafty stuff, then, yeah, maybe it's developmentally appropriate to put those things out for those children, but not to make everybody do it or to do it for them, you know, which is kind of what you were saying, Travis, when right. this, when that started. Well, and there's just also, I think it's, I think it's a little crazy for us to expect that all children are going to value art the way that we want them to. <laughs> when yeah. most of us don't yeah. value it. <laughs> right. Because yeah. there are, there are people who express themselves and process their reality through sports. Mm -hmm. There are people who express themselves and process their reality by consuming entertainment, mm -hmm. but not creating the pro like not creating the product that requires or that they would be consuming. Mm -hmm. So but it's like we can't expect that they're always that they're always going to be interested in doing this. Right. Even yeah. if we do give them all the freedom in the world. Right. 
I'm going to say this comes back to Bloom's Taxonomy. <laughs> I was in an internet hole earlier learning about Bloom's Taxonomy. Right. And it's uh, kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, except for Ma- it's Bloom's hierarchy of processing the world. And one yeah. of the... Like, one of the higher levels of processing information is evaluating. And I think that, that that comes back to the, like, consumer of it. You can consume this art, and you can look at it, and you can evaluate it, and that's a way of processing, too. Mm-hmm. You don't have to always be creating, always be right. on the highest level of whatever. Sometimes you just got to, like, yeah, yeah. But think I about will, things. I'll throw into that that what both of you just said, though. What about the value of... Or maybe that's not what I want. Maybe. Hmm, okay. What about the child who's never been offered any real art exploration kinds of experiences? They, they, you know, maybe sports is how they process that, but maybe they would have processed it differently if they'd had that opportunity. But they didn't. But they didn't. So that's what I think. But they didn't. <laughs> but they didn't. And it's not our, it's not our job to change their experience in their past, no. like no, their past experiences, I mean. but I can right, offer them right. something different now. Yeah, but it, it's just one of yeah. You can offer it, but again, it's one of those things where are they really gonna? If they do engage in it, great. And if it changes their world for you, great. Because I think more people do need art in their life. Do need to become artists or think about having art be a big part of their life. But a lot of times we get to them when it's a little too late because if even at four and five, if you've never been offered an art experience in your life, it's going to be very hard for us to get you into it Uh unless you were already predisposed to it. Right. Like we, because my program, we don't accept children under the age of three just because of our licensing requirements. So every kid that we get either was at home all the time or at a different, center Uh and so we get we have to learn a lot about what their past experiences are so it's kind of hard for us to cultivate any anything that we really want to do like if we're like oh we want to get into gardening this year these kids probably will never be interested in it because they were not given those experiences prior or they probably a lot of them when we ask them have never eaten a raw vegetable in their lives Uh and it's just an unfortunate reality <laughs> that we have to go into, like getting Tiffany's kids. Heart. Right? Oh, we get we, we get kids whose parents are like, oh, he only eats pizza. Right. Chicken That's the only food he eats. Or they come from centers where they hide all the food or hide all the vegetables in the food. Yeah. Like, oh, this is lasagna, but don't tell the kids it has carrots and zucchini. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, so it's kind of hard for us to cultivate like stuff like healthful behavior. It's hard yeah. for us to cultivate stuff like value or valuing art in such a way that doesn't completely destroy everybody else's experience. Like I'll give you an example of when we had this paint, we have we have our paint out and we had a little boy who had never been exposed to art before, but he's one of those kids who just likes dumping things out. Mm-hmm. Grabbed the thing of paint, ran away with it, opened it up, dumped it out all over the floor. And that, and right. Bravo, baby boy. <laughs> right. And so it was a very frustrating thing for right. everybody else in that classroom because all those kids wanted to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And so we said, and so it was one of those things where we just had to be like, okay, well, he's not super into this because he wasn't. He did it because he didn't want to be, like, we were trying to kind of guide him to it 
And by doing that, we had to reap the (laughs) the consequence of him being like, "I don't fucking want to do this." (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I think we can connect that to the that raw vegetable food thing to to the art conversation because um, some some people have said, and I don't I can't cite it, but I know I've seen it and read it often. A child might need to see just see a different food. 20 to 25 times before they're even going to want to touch it or taste it. And the more we try to force and bribe and trick, the longer it's going to take. So maybe it's the same thing with the art for some children. It just, they need yeah, to see absolutely. other children engaged in it and we don't need to worry about whether they're engaging in it yet. Right. Right. Mm. Because eventually my favorite kind of child artist, <laughs> the one who comes up to me and says, do we have to make pictures today? And I say, no. No, you don't have to do anything. And they're like, oh, fine. And then they spend the next hour just, like, meticulously making yeah. a picture. Okay, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. Fine. Uh, you don't you have to do me. any of this. But you want to do Okay, cool. <laughs> I just wanted a little fight from you, Tiffany, yeah. before I started. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, all right, so do either of you have final sending people away thoughts on this? I absolutely do. <laughs> if we if it's this hard to expose three year olds to something new with only three years of worldly experience, mm-hmm. no wonder it's hard to change adults' minds. Oh yeah. <laughs> Think about how many times you would have to expose an adult before they do it. With their adult mindset. Like, yeah. thinking about all those people I know who are like, oh, I don't know how to draw. I never draw. Right. Or singing. Me. I used to mm-hmm. cry every time somebody made me sing. <laughs> if you can believe it. I sing all the flipping I still don't sing through. in front of adults outside of a child care context. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm i a karaoke queen, you guys. Well, I'm a, I, in the car with Josie queen, but I still don't. Mm-mm. Yeah, I get what I you're saying. Cry. I legitimately would cry in high school when Aww. the musical theater unit came around. Because I was that <laughs> traumatized because I'd had that many traumatizing singing experiences up until that point. So imagine if it's that I'm hard sorry. to change a three-year-old's mind. Yeah. How hard is it going to be to impart change even with transformative language in an adult's mind? Well, got, I mean, way to bring like thinking down, if Tiffany. you have to expose a child to a food 20 times. Yeah. You've got to start thinking in adults that way, too. That's true. You've got to expose them to product over process 20 times before mm-hmm. they're going to want to take a bite. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get off my soap. <laughs> we'll keep talking about it. I guess we do 20 more process-oriented art episodes. <laughs> Works for me. Okay. <laughs> Any last thoughts from you, Travis? Uh, Nope. Oh. Excellent. (laughs) Me either. I used up all my thoughts already. Right. All right. Well, thank you guys for talking to me. And thank Thank uh, everyone for listening. Hold on just a second. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.
hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. Thanks.